you're a guest with us this evening, I want to thank you so much for being here. Whatever your reasoning for being here is or whatever your circumstances are, we want you to know that we are so glad uh, that you are here. And we want you to always feel welcome with us uh, here at Crossroads. And on behalf of Crossroads, to everybody, uh, Merry Christmas. We are so glad uh, that each and every one of you are here worshiping with us. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and open up to the New Testament book of Luke. Luke is towards the back of your Bibles, right in between the books of Mark and John. I believe it's on page 723 in the Bibles right in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. The words are going to be up on the screen uh, here in just a moment. Now, Luke is a biography of the life of Jesus, giving us snapshots into who he was as a person. And for just a moment, we're going to be camped out in chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Now, to bring a little context to what's happening here, as a way of building anticipation for Jesus' arrival to this earth, God had silenced his messengers for a period of about 400 years known as the silent years. And it was during this time that God's people, the Jews, experienced a lot of oppression. The political climate was very unstable. And as each year went by, the darkness grew thicker. And so just when, just when God's people thought that he would overlook them, He was about to show up, but in a very unexpected way. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to pick up in verse 26. Here's what we read. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. Verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Now, that's a very logical question, right? Now, understand that Mary wasn't questioning God's ability to make her pregnant. She just wanted to know how it would happen. I mean, she's a virgin, she's to conceive a child, and naturally things just aren't beginning to add up for her. And so in this moment, in a very vulnerable occasion, Mary looks at this angel square in the eye, and she begins to question God's plan for her life. And the truth is, haven't we all been there before? And maybe for you, this past year, you... We're on track to receive a promotion, and then out of nowhere, your boss came to you and said, I'm sorry, but we're having to make some cuts, and, and your department happens to be one of them. And so just like Mary in this occasion, you look up at God and you say, how will this be? Or maybe for you, recently you were baptized, and you thought that once you made that next step, that life would be a walk in the park and things would be easy. But in fact, it's been just the opposite. Your friends avoid you. Your parents misunderstand you. A boyfriend recently broke up with you because he just isn't into this whole Jesus thing. And so you've asked God on multiple occasions, what's your plan? I mean, what are you doing here? Now, if we look at this original Christmas story, we see that God is simply doing what he does best. He is making possible the impossible to magnify his power. And during those moments that God's plan doesn't seem to add up, 
You see, he has proven to never be unfaithful. I don't know if you know this, but he has promised to never be an absent father in your life. My experience has been for those uncertain moments are just greater opportunities for God to unveil what he's capable of doing in you and through you. And so we see from the very beginning of Jesus' life that an unordinary birth would set him aside to live an extraordinary life. But again, the question is, how will this conception take place? I mean, how will a virgin give birth to a baby boy? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 35, here's what we read. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Verse 37, very important. For no word from God will ever fail. And so God's plan to rescue mankind by sending Jesus into this world would be ushered in by the power of the Holy Spirit. In reality, the Holy Spirit, who is God and a person, is really this hidden main character in the Christmas story that oftentimes gets overlooked. And that's what was happening here. Now, sometimes people think that Jesus' last name was Christ, but in actuality, that was his title. And the literal translation is anointed by the Holy Spirit. The most frequent adjective throughout Scripture to describe the Holy Spirit is the word power. And for Luke, the word power and Holy Spirit are, are almost always interchangeable. Look again at verse 35. Here's what we read. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, what's interesting is that the Holy Spirit didn't just flee from Jesus' life after he was conceived inside Mary's womb. That was really, in actuality, only the beginning. Now, if you know anything about Jesus, if you've ever studied his life before, you know that he did some pretty incredible things. I mean, he did some things that were quite unbelievable throughout the course of his life. I mean, haven't you ever wondered, haven't you ever wondered how he was able to remain obedient to his father, even when that meant dying on a cross I mean, how, how did he resist temptation to a point where he lived a literal sinless life? I mean, how did Jesus cast out demons and bring the dead back to life? Did he really walk on water and turn the water into wine? How is it that he could tell that storm, be still, and Mother Nature obeyed him? If you've ever questioned some of that, I say join the club. But one of Jesus' closest friends named Peter, he explains it like this in Acts chapter 10. He said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Again, Holy Spirit and power right together side by side. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And you see, what was true then is still true today. Jesus specializes in advancing against the darkness of the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you're probably wondering to yourself right about now, that's wonderful, but why, why are we talking about the Holy Spirit on Christmas Eve? <laughs> I mean, that just seems a little bit weird, right? Now, I want you to imagine with me for just a moment that tomorrow morning, my wife opens up the gift that she has been anticipating all year long, and, and we'll just say that it's a brand new, a brand new camera. So just like what every spouse does this time of year, she's been dropping me hints. She's directed me to the website of where I can buy this camera. And, um, you know, it's somehow surfaced in just about every conversation that we've had for the past four weeks. In fact, she's dropped me so many hints lately that I felt compelled to take back what I originally got her. Because apparently a gutter cleaner wasn't going to cut it for her this year. 
And so tomorrow morning, she rips off the wrapping paper. She gets into that box, and it's the exact camera that she has been wanting. Now, in the midst of her excitement, what do you think her reaction would be if I said, you know what, I am so glad that you were excited about this camera. I want you to enjoy it as much as you possibly can for the next three days. Because on Saturday, I'm going to take it back, and I'm just going to have it with me, and I'm not going to let you know where it's at. I'll give it back to you eventually, but that's up, that's up to me to decide. Now, how great of a plan is that? That'd be horrible, right? I mean, I would only say that if I wanted to know what sleeping on these pews for the next month would be like. <laughs> and yet, sadly, sadly, that's how many of us think that God operates. Some of us believe that the Christmas story somehow goes like this, that, that Jesus was wanted and he was needed for thousands of years by humanity. God eventually granted us that wish, and he was born in a manger on that Christmas night. He lived for a short amount of time, about 33 years to be exact. He eventually was crucified. Three, late, three days later, he rose back to life. He was with his people for a short period of time, and then he was taken back up to heaven, leaving us here by ourselves. I mean, we have the church, we have each other in the meantime, but that's about it. And you see, when we reduce the presence of God down to that, it's as if God gave us this gift open on Christmas morning, allowed us to play with it for a little while, and then took it back up, and now we're waiting on him to give it back to us in a time when he permits. And so could it be, could it be that God has devised a better plan than that? Now, if you're in Luke chapter 1, what I want you to do is flip over to John chapter 14. John is the next book over in your Bibles. And in a way, we've just bookended Jesus' life because in John 14, Christ is about to be crucified. Now, these are some of Jesus' very last words for his followers. Check out verse 16 in John 14. Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Verse 17, the Spirit of truth. In other words, the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus promises us this in verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. While it may seem that Jesus removed himself from earth, and now we're just waiting on him, God in his infinite grace and goodness and compassion devised a much better plan than that. Here's the thing. He didn't want his presence to be something that we would have to wait on. I mean, we wait enough in life, right? And truthfully, I lack patience, to tell you the truth. I mean, I, I've always been that way. I mean, I remember when I was about five years old, I really wanted this stuffed animal for Christmas one year. About two weeks before Christmas, my mom went out shopping to run some errands, and she left me with our babysitter. And that only meant, that only meant one thing for me. And that meant that it was unsupervised time for me to go up to my parents' closet and snoop around and see if I, if I got this stuffed animal. <laughs> How many of you Quick Show fans have ever done that before? The rest of you are lying, all right? <laughs> and so I'm up there. I can't find it. I finally go up to my sister's closet, and there it is, but there's only one problem. It's on the very top shelf. And so I have two options before me at this point. I can either climb those shelves and risk falling to my death, or I can go to my babysitter with puppy dog eyes and... Um, Ask if she would help me find my long-lost stuffed animal because I would need it before going and taking a nap so that she could sit downstairs in silence for once. <laughs> and so the next thing I know, my babysitter is helping me steal my Christmas present about two weeks early. 
And so I'm enjoying this stuffed animal. I'm loving on it. I'm so excited that my parents got it for me. And then my mom came home. And she asked me in a very point blank way, she said, now, where did you get that? I've always been a truthful person. And so I said, well, my babysitter got it for me. We never saw that babysitter after that for some reason. I know what you're thinking. You're five years old. Boy, you're a pretty horrible child. I'm not as bad as I might seem. I was much worse. (laughs) And the truth is, we are to be patient with a lot of different things in life. Patience is a virtue of the Spirit. It It is a fruit of the Spirit. But you see, there is one thing. There's one thing that God didn't want you to have to be patient for. And that is His presence in his power given to you through the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus died, the death that we deserved 2,000 years ago because of the sin in our life, we have been given access to the Spirit every single moment of the day. And you see, that same Spirit that that conceived Jesus in Mary's womb has been made available to you. Now, I want to be clear about this. It is only a gift reserved for those who humble themselves admitting their need for a Savior, repenting of sin, and willingly accepting Jesus Christ as Lord. Therefore, here's what it all comes down to. If you want to know what Christmas is all about, it's not about the gifts, it's not about family, it's not about the manger or Mary or Joseph. They are simply a means to an end. But this is what it's all about. The presence and power of God isn't so much to be anticipated in your life as it is to be embraced The presence and power of God isn't so much to be anticipated in your life as it is to be embraced. Now, there's a big difference, right? I mean, it's the difference between a pregnancy and actually having a baby right in front of you to hold and enjoy. It's the difference between me planning at the start of 214 to go to the gym three times, three times a year, and uh, actually getting out of bed each morning to go lift weights. God's presence isn't this future event to wait on. It's a daily reality to embrace and to live out. Now, some frequent phrases that uh, we hear a lot this time of year, especially at churches, is this. first one is, is Jesus came, and the second one is Jesus is coming again. But you see, by saying that Jesus came, you almost get this impression that he's now left. And when stating that Jesus will come again, which is absolutely true, we have this tendency to downplay his return as if it's some far-off event that maybe our great-grandchildren will experience. But you see, one thing you don't hear a lot is this. Jesus is already here. He's amongst us. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah said this about Jesus' birth in Isaiah chapter 7. He said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a son. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, Emmanuel literally means God is with us. Notice Emmanuel doesn't mean God was with us or God will be with us. No, it's God is with us. And Jesus assured us of this because he knew that we have a tendency to be very forgetful. Before he ascended to heaven, he said, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if you're like me, you hear that and you think, Yeah, that's great. I've heard that a lot before. But when I do that, I don't think I really grasp what Jesus says. 
Because what that means is if Moses, Abraham, Job, Joseph, or any other faith giant in the Old Testament were here today, the first question they would ask every follower of Jesus in this room is this, what is it like? What is it like having the Holy Spirit living inside you? You see, before Jesus, God's presence was contained within the temple in a special room called the Holy of Holies and was only reserved to be experienced by the high priest once a year. But because of Christmas, you see, because of Christmas, the God who controls thunderstorms and commands the snow to fall, the God who carved out the Rocky Mountains and edged out the Ohio River, the God who designed the intricacies of a hummingbird and formed atmospheric gas, gases, the God who spun the earth into motion and spoke the galaxies into existence looks at every person in here today and doesn't just say, mine, but he also says, I'm here for you. I'm yours and you are mine. Now what this means is that the Holy Spirit comforts us during suffering. He convicts us when wrapped up in sin. He strengthens us when we're weak and tempted. And he guides us when making decisions. Now if I can be honest with you for just a moment, um, this hasn't been the easiest year for my family and I to, to just be very straightforward. Um, it's been a lot of change and transition for us. Many of you know that we moved here back in April from Texas. And since then, it's, like I said, just been um, a, lot of, a lot of change and a lot of transition. We've had to get adjusted to a new community and, and a whole new culture here, different from, from Dallas. And, and we've recently had a baby. Uh, now, people often say that when they hear that, that we have two kids under the age of two, 18 months apart from one another, they say, oh, you, you must really like children. No, I just really like my wife. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, kids. Uh, I didn't ask my wife before saying that one. Uh, but, you know, so many of you have, um, have welcomed us and embraced us and really made, a, made us feel part of this family, and we are so incredibly grateful for that. You've had more of an impact on our life than you may ever realize. And I don't tell you that to, um, you know, make you feel bad for us, because, you know what, the truth is God has been so incredibly good to us, and, but it's been in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of transition, uh, the Lord has sustained us, and he has been our constant in the midst of a lot of, a lot of motion. Now, here's the thing. What we've been through this past year, it's nothing compared to what a lot of you all have endured and the grief that you have gone through lately. Some of you, this past year, you've, you've lost children. Some of you, you've lost a parent. You've lost a friend. Others of you have endured a really ugly divorce. Some of you have gone through a miscarriage. Maybe you're without a job right now. Perhaps this is a year when your depression came back stronger than ever before. You've had a child walk away from the faith. And so you ask yourself, where is the presence and the power of God in that? I mean, there are moments when God just seems to be silent, right? And I would say it may have that appearance on the surface. But perception isn't everything. I want you to look at Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> this is what Paul says. He says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for, 
God's people in accordance to the will of God. Now, what the author Paul is saying here is that when, when our world is crashing down, it's the Holy Spirit that goes before the Father and pleads that we have just enough strength and comfort and counsel to get us through what we're going through. And so just when you think God is distant, just when you think that he's removed himself from your life, he's a lot closer than you think. And so I don't know what you've gone through this year. I don't know what your story is. But my challenge to you this Christmas is this. Don't equate God's silence for his absence. Don't equate his silence for his absence. He's a lot closer than you may realize. And so what we're going to do now as a church is we're going to enter into a time of communion. And if you are serving uh, in the next few moments, then you can go ahead and make preparations to do that. But you know, if there was ever somebody in this world, in this life, that experienced the silence and the absence of God, it was Jesus. About 33 years after that not-so-silent night in the manger, Jesus would be drugged before a crowd to be beaten, tortured, abused, and humiliated. And while hanging upon the cross, absorbing the punishment that you and I deserved, the Father turned his back upon him, and Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But you see, it's because Jesus went through that. It's because of what he endured. That his presence and his power isn't something that we have to anticipate. It's something that we can embrace. And so we're going to celebrate that. In just a moment, the trays will be passed. I invite you to take that little piece of bread that represents Jesus' body that was broken as he hung upon that cross. Take that little cup of juice that represents his blood that was poured as he hung there. And as a church tonight, I'll just be thankful for that. And, and I realize that not everybody in here is, would maybe consider themselves a Christian, but maybe, just maybe, this Christmas season, beneath the wrapping paper, Christmas carols and lights, you can hear the whisper of God. And he's saying, just trust me. I know what you've been through. I know you're anxious about your future. I know you really regret your past, but I've already taken care of that. I'm here, and I love you. When we realize that, then we see what Christmas is all about. His presence isn't so much to be anticipated as it is to be embraced. Let's pray. Father God, I love you so much, and I'm so thankful for how you have sustained me in the midst of difficulty and God, you alone have been uh, my one constant in a lot of storms. And God, I know that there are a lot of people in here tonight who have gone through a lot, especially this past year and maybe more recently. And Lord, they just need to know that you were there. And they need to know that you care. And, and God, I pray that they wouldn't walk out of here without knowing that in a way that they never have before. And so God, we want to experience your presence and we want to experience your power in a way that we never have before. And that was all made possible because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So we are thankful for Christmas. But we are even more thankful that it was through the cradle that Jesus went to the cross and that his life was bookended with humiliation and shame because he loved us so much. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.